morning, everybody. Everybody ready for God on film? You guys ready to get to work? <laughs> All right, that could have been a little more positive, but I'll take what I can get, okay? Um, it's great to see you all here on this, uh, on this beautiful summer morning, and <clears throat> I don't know about you, but I think it's fun to see the Canines for Christ serving with our greeters this morning. Um, let's give them a hand. <clears throat> Some of you may not be aware of, of this, but our canines actually go into nursing homes uh, here in the community. And also, um, some folks have asked that they come into private homes and, um, to minister to folks. And, and it's a ministry that touches lives of the elderly and the, and the infirm with God's love in a very unique way. And, and I just think that's, that's so cool that people have found a way to even use their pets in ministering to other people. Now, if you're new to G&G, my name's Jeff, and I'm the teaching pastor here. And if you began attending G&G in June, you may be wondering if you're the teaching pastor, where you've been all month, okay? And uh, that's a great question, but I just want you to know that for the past few years, the leadership team has given me a study break uh, during the month of June. And, and it gives me kind of the opportunity to think and, uh, and pray about the long-term vision of this church and, and to study some issues uh, that we're facing and perhaps some moves that we need to make in order to be more effective in advancing the kingdom of Christ. And so, so uh, I get the whole month off. But it um, also gives other great teachers an opportunity to teach. And didn't Wayne and J.D. just do an outstanding job of teaching for us last month? You know, I'm really grateful that God has blessed us with high-quality teaching, and I'd encourage you, I really mean this, I would encourage you to pick up a free CD or, or listen to those messages from last month um, on, your, uh, on your computer online because, man, those, those lessons really hit. They hit me hard, and I'm sure you as well, in the area of how we grow as Christians. Now, <laughs> each summer, uh, our lessons during the month of July... We gear them around some of, the, some of the summer's biggest movies, and we use them to discover truth about God, truth about ourselves, and also truth about the world in which we live. And just to be clear up front, I want to make sure everybody kind of understands this. The movies that we use during God on Film are for illustrative purposes only, okay? They serve simply as springboards for learning about God and the truth that's found in God's Word, the Bible, okay? We don't necessarily endorse all the content in any particular movie, nor do we necessarily recommend them for viewing. We use them as learning tools. So it doesn't imply that we agree with everything in them. Everybody, everybody good at that? Everybody clear? Um, all right, tell you what, let's, let's get down to work. Um, today's movie is entitled Avengers Endgame. And for those of you that didn't see it, when it hit the movies or hit the theaters the first time, it did come back, which is kind of odd, kind of unusual, but it did come back to Star Cinemas just this past week. And I just want you to know that if you didn't already see the movie, I am issuing an official spoiler alert today, okay? Um, some aspects of the movie and how it will end uh, will be revealed in today's lesson. So please don't cover your ears, okay? Just hang with me. Um, <clears throat> but in the Avengers Endgame, this, this movie is really interesting because it tracks the lives of some of Marvel Comics' most famous superheroes, but in a slightly different way. 
it tracks their lives in the five-year aftermath of a devastating defeat. Now, this is something that the superheroes are not used to. It's something they've never experienced before. It's something that tears at them individually, that sucks the life right out of their souls, that, that forces them to question themselves and reevaluate their worth, and it fractures the unity of the Avenger team. And you can boil it all down to one word. And that word is failure. They failed in the previous movie to save the earth. And this movie tracks how they react. And suddenly they don't seem like such superheroes after all. From the alien planet Titan, the supervillain Thanos is bent on destroying half of all life forms in the universe. Annihilating planets all across the galaxy, Thanos and his army ultimately set their sights on planet Earth, and the Avengers are determined to stop him. But Thanos has obtained the ultimate superweapon, the Infinity Gauntlet. This irresistible weapon empowers Thanos to transcend both space and time. In the wrong hands, this weapon is diabolical. And when Thanos and his hordes invade planet Earth, the Avengers, despite their best efforts, are powerless to stop him. Avengers are outnumbered and overwhelmed, and their superpowers are no match for Thanos in the Infinity Gauntlet. Half the Earth's population is wiped out, and the impact on the Avengers is devastating. They remember the past, when they became superheroes, the promise, the hope, the opportunity to make the world a better and a safer place, but now all seems like a distant memory. like a thousand years ago I fought my way out of that cave became Iron Man realized I loved you I know I said no more surprises but I was really hoping to pull off one last one the world has changed None of us can go back. All we can do is our best. And sometimes the best that we can do is to start over. Over. 
everybody they should move on. Some do, but not us. The loss of millions across the globe, not to mention the personal loss of friends and loved ones and even fellow superheroes, is more than they can bear. How do you move on when you feel like you failed miserably? How do you do that? How do you pick up the pieces when the puzzle of your life falls apart? Can you put it back together or are you like Humpty Dumpty? Do you even know for sure if all the pieces are there or if they even fit anymore? The Avengers struggle to recover, to move on. Tony Stark, also known as the Iron Man, retreats within himself and his immediate family. He blames Captain America for their failure to stop Thanos, and he's determined not to get involved, to mind his own business, to stay under the radar in his country home with his wife and daughter. Captain America, Steve Rogers, he psychologically reverted to his superhero persona. He's reticent, unsure, indecisive. Failure has taken the wind right out of his sails. Clint Barton, also known as Hawkeye, is so enraged by the loss of his wife and children that he becomes a ruthless vigilante, meeting out his brand of justice on whoever he sees fit. Natasha Romanoff, the black widow, had no family to lose except the family ties she formed with the other Avengers. That was her family. So she buries herself in her work, trying desperately to find a way to pull them all together, to to reunite the team, to start over. Thor returned to his home in Norway. In the five years since experiencing this failure, He's holed up in a cabin and devolved into an unkempt, overweight, alcoholic. A shadow, granted a big one, of his former self. Drowning his failure in a bottomless bottle. The Avengers desperately need a do-over, a second chance. And this failure has revealed their fears, their insecurities, their guilt, shame. And whether it's Stark's under-the-radar home in the mountains or Thor's cabin on Asgard, they can't escape the failure that haunts them. So how, how do you start over when all seems lost? And then it occurs to them, the Infinity Gauntlet. The Infinity Gauntlet possesses the power to turn back time. And if they can retrieve it, perhaps they can turn back time and refight that battle with Thanos. It's not much to go on. The plan's risky. But it's all they've got. And together, they finally agree to do whatever it takes. Thanos did exactly what he said he was going to do. He wiped out 50% of all living creatures. We lost. All of us. 
lost friends, we lost family. We lost a part of ourselves. This is the fight of our lives. This is going to work, Steve. I know it is. Because I don't know what I'm going to do if it doesn't. Whatever it takes demands everything they've got. They have to face their fears, their insecurities. They have to face their guilt and their shame. Turning back time is hazardous. Refighting the battle with Thanos is fraught with danger. They could lose again. More people could die. But facing their failure is worth the risk. It's a one in a million shot deal. And come what may, they're in it together. It's not about how much we lost. It's about how much we have left. We're the Avengers. We gotta finish this. You trust me? I do. In the end, the Avengers get their do-over. They traverse time and refight the battle with Thanos. And though this time they win, the battle is extremely costly. The Black Widow and Iron Man sacrifice themselves to save humanity. And a new generation of superheroes rise up to take their place. Now, when you think about this movie, friends, the, 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 this, this movie asks the question, what do you do when you need a do-over? What do you do when you need a second chance? How do you respond when you experience a failure and you feel like your life is falling apart? What do you do? Now, friends, I don't know this morning what kind of failure or adversity you may be facing this morning. Because it comes in all shapes and sizes. Sometimes we bring it on ourselves. That's the truth. Sometimes it just happens through no fault of our own. Perhaps the company you work for is downsizing and suddenly you find yourself out of work. And you're facing that fear. How are we going to make ends meet? Perhaps your marriage is in trouble and you're wondering if there's any way it can be saved. You need a do-over. You need a second chance. Perhaps you stood at the grave of a loved one, and there are days when you wake up and you wonder how life can go on without them, and some days you're not sure if you want it to. Perhaps you've made some bad financial decisions, and now you've got creditors calling you. And you're wondering if you're staring a bankruptcy in the face. And you're humiliated by that. Perhaps your doctor called with a bad report and suddenly your future seems real insecure. Or perhaps you're struggling with an addiction. And you wish, you wish in your heart of hearts you could have a do-over. If only I'd never taken that first drink. If only I'd never taken that first hit. If I'd only I'd clicked off that site. Perhaps you're dealing with a child whose life has gone off the rails and you're feeling like you failed as a parent. Or perhaps you're dealing with a moral failure 
a sin that you can't hide any longer and you can't deny. And the guilt and the shame is eating you up inside and you want to do over a second chance. How do you react to that? Maybe you're like Iron Man and and you blame other people around you. Maybe you're like Captain America and you just just kind of become insecure and you kind of fade into the background. You're, You're unsure. Maybe you're like Hawkeye. And you're mad at the world and you're taking it out on everybody around you. Or maybe you're like Black Widow and me. (laughs) And you bury yourself in your work. You know, it's interesting. Somebody asked me the other day, Jeff, what do you do when you're stressed? I said, I work harder. Work harder. Or maybe you're like Thor and you just kind of numb it. By whatever means. Now maybe you're here this morning and you can't identify with anything I just said. Because your life is sailing along just fine. Everything's smooth. Friends, I got news for you. Every one of us experiences adversity at some point in our life. A failure of one kind or another will touch us all. It happens. But for those of us who accept the Bible as God's word, there's hope. There's hope. Regardless of the adversity we may face, regardless of the failures we may experience, there is hope for those of us who believe. Our focus verse for today's lesson says it this way. It's up here on the screens. Let's all recite it together. Here we go. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Now we're going to leave that up there for a second because I really want you to think through what this says. Notice the very first word. Take note of this. Now. It says, now, right now, regardless of what you may be facing, right now, in this moment of time, now, all glory to God. In other words, all praise and honor to God. Now, regardless of my circumstances, regardless of whether I'm facing adversity or I'm struggling with a failure, right now, all glory to God. Why? Why can we give glory to God? When we need a do-over or a second chance. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. His power is capable of accomplishing in and through us far more than we can even imagine. His power is beyond our comprehension. And it goes on to say this, glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus. In other words, he is worthy of our praise as a church family, the followers of the son, Jesus Christ, from now to eternity. So friends, what do we do when we need a do-over? What do we do when we need a second chance? Today what we're going to do is we're going to actually learn 
Five Steps for Overcoming Failure from one of the Bible's most prominent figures, a man who experienced a failure of epic proportions. And not only that, but it got written down in the Bible. So it's there for the whole world to see. Some of you and I have had failures and a few people know about it or, you know, some of us have been unlucky enough to end up on the front page of a newspaper, but this guy's failure has been talked about for 2,000 years. And yet he recovered and went on to accomplish great things for Christ. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we have a lot to cover this morning and a lot to learn. And Father, these are hard lessons, especially for those among us who right now are facing adversity or a failure and they're wondering if they can come back from it. Father, there are people in this audience that want to do over so desperately. They want a second chance. And Father, help us to learn from this man who knows right where they are. For this is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Now friends, your outline, for those of you that it's your first time at Good News Gathering, you've got this white sheet with holes punched on the side. And it's an outline that has the scriptures we'll be covering today and it will help you kind of follow along. And there at the top it says uh, four steps. We actually got five. I got a little inventive this week and then forgot to tell the person that was typing the outline. Um, <clears throat> but the individual we're going to look at today, his name was Simon. And some of you are probably going, Simon, I don't really remember a big Bible story about a guy named Simon. You, do, you, do, you know who he is because you know him by a nickname. It's a nickname Jesus gave him, which is Peter, which meant the rock. The rock cool nickname, especially when it's given by Jesus. I mean, the rock, you're solid, right? He was one of the first four apostles that Jesus chose to do life and ministry with, and he quickly became prominent among the 12. Now, three out of the four gospels, those first biographies of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all contain a list of the apostles. They list them kind of in order. And in each list, Peter is listed first. The Bible also appears to indicate that within the 12 apostles, there was an inner circle, three guys who were even closer to Jesus than the rest, and Peter was one of those guys. These three saw some things the others did not. They saw a miracle in which Jesus raised a dead girl back to life. The others did not see that. They weren't in the home. Jesus invited these three to go with them in the home. They also witnessed Jesus in some otherworldly form, Christians refer to it as a transfiguration. It was a, it was a moment where they went on this mountain. Jesus took these three guys up on this mountain, and all of a sudden, the next thing they know, Jesus is conversing with two titanic figures from the Old Testament, Moses and Elijah. And they watched this happen. Peter's the only apostle to attempt and briefly manage to walk on water. And he made a statement about Jesus that has been recited by Christians for the past 2,000 years prior to their baptisms, he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
Throughout Jesus' three-year ministry, Peter was there, and yet on the night before he died, Peter experienced a failure of epic proportions, and it wasn't like he wasn't warned. It wasn't like he didn't have a heads up. It wasn't like he didn't know it was coming. And yet he failed anyway. The evening before he went to the cross, Jesus gathered the 12 around him in an upstairs room. And the Bible tells us this. It says, then Jesus told them, this very night. Okay, so Jesus is specific. This very night, you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. So he's telling them, guys, this is coming. Not not sometime down the road. This is going to happen tonight. On this very night, you will all fall away on account of me. I'm going to be struck. And everybody will scatter that's around me. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And so he's, he's telling them exactly what's going to happen. But Peter isn't having any of this. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. You can almost hear the arrogance, the self-assuredness in his voice. Even if all fall away. I wonder how that went over with the other 10 or 11 guys in the room. Some believe Judas had already left. But I wonder how they felt about it. Peter's kind of looking around the room. Even if everybody else falls away, not me. These guys might fall away, not me. But Jesus is insistent. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown. Now he's not talking to the group. He's talking to Peter. I can imagine their eyeball to eyeball, and he's saying, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And Peter can't believe it. In fact, he doubles down. Look at what he says. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Never. Life or death. And Jesus proceeds to warn him, you know what, Peter, there's more going on here in this room than meets the eye. Notice what he says. He says, Simon, Simon. Now this is fascinating because Jesus does not use the nickname that he gave Peter. He reverts back to his given name. In this moment, he's not the rock. He's Simon, the fisherman. Simon, Simon, Jesus repeats his name to get his attention. And he says, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. And that imagery would not have been lost on these guys because they'd seen it so many times in their country where people were, were harvesting wheat. And what they would do is they had these like, kind of like rake type things where they would actually throw it up in the air and the breeze would blow away what was unuseful what couldn't be eaten, what was of no value. And he said, Satan's asked to sift all of you just like that to see what falls to the ground and is good and what just blows away. Whew. 
He says, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. So Jesus is not only seeing the failure, but he's seeing beyond the failure. And he's encouraging Peter to come back and strengthen the others. But Peter replied, Lord, I'm ready to go to you, go with you to prison and to death. Hmm. Unfortunately for Peter, Jesus' prediction came true that night. Later that night, Peter denied him three times. And the Bible tells us that at that moment where he gave that third denial, that says the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And you got to understand, Jesus was already under arrest, and some scholars believe that this moment happened when Jesus was being transported from one trial to another because he had more than one trial during the night, and they were taking him back and forth across town to different places to meet with different leaders. And I don't know about you, but I can't imagine at that moment when he locked eyes with Jesus, how in the world? How in the world did he survive that moment? You talk about a failure. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. The prediction had come true. All of Peter's arrogance collapsed. His self-assurance that he would never fall away crumbled when asked to own up that he was a follower of Jesus. He disowned him not once, not twice, three times. Some rock he was. He was devastated. The Bible says he went outside and wept bitterly. This was a failure that he might never recover from. I mean, think about it. He wasn't the only apostle that failed that day, was he? There was another one. He betrayed Jesus. And Judas ended up swinging from a rope. But Peter came back. He didn't allow this failure to define him. He went on to be an effective leader in the early church. Just a month or so later, he preached a sermon that resulted in 3,000 people accepting Christ and being baptized in one day. And ultimately, Peter actually even made good on his word. Remember, he told Jesus, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Approximately 35 years after Jesus left the earth, Peter was crucified because he refused to disown his faith in Jesus Christ. So how did he do it? How did Peter overcome his failure? Now, friends, the Bible contains two letters that Peter wrote to a group of Christians. Inventively, they're known as First and Second Peter, okay? But in First Peter, I think that we can discover five steps, 
for overcoming failure. And I, I almost wonder if when Peter was writing this book, if he wasn't thinking through how he came through and how he overcame. And friends, step one is this. If you and I are going to overcome failure, if we're going to make a comeback, we have to first admit and accept reality. We have to admit and accept reality. Unlike the Avengers, friends, you and I cannot travel back in time. We can't relive the past. I'm sure Peter would have loved to have that infinity gauntlet so he could travel back in time and redo that night. But even though he couldn't, there's hope. Look at what he wrote. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the tone of this letter. This is the man whose failure is on display in three out of, I think, maybe even all four Gospels for all of time. And yet he came back. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's no trace of guilt There's no trace of shame about his failure. He's not weighed down by regret. He's praising God. Why? It says, in his great mercy, he has given us, circle these two words, new birth. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a, circle these two words, living hope. Now notice, he says, in his great mercy. In other words, Peter's not overcoming his failure on his own. This is a God thing. God's doing this. New birth. A living hope. Not some future hope. Not some pie in the sky thing where, you know, hey, we got to kind of muddle through life and then the good stuff happens after we die. Uh Uh-uh. He says this is a living hope. In this life, we can have hope and in the next as well. How's that? In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. It can't be taken away. New birth. Living hope. You see, friends... Unlike the Avengers, there are no do-overs, okay? You and I can't go back in time. We can't go back and change the past. What's done is done, and that's reality. We have to accept that. But Peter talks about a new birth, a living hope. In other words, there are no do-overs, but I can start over. I can start over. I can begin again. Our sins can be forgiven because Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. This is the basis for our living hope. I mean, think about it, friends. We follow the one who rose from the dead. (laughs) Unbelievable. That's why we can say with Christ, failure is not final. It's not final. 
Even death, friends, is not final for us. But there's another reality that we must admit and we must accept. And this is a difficult reality in our current culture, friends. And you know, I wonder if when Peter was writing this letter, if he was, (laughs) in his mind, transported back to that upper room. And I wonder if he remembered Jesus warning, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. I wonder if he remembered that when he wrote in his letter, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Friends, the second reality that we have to understand is we have to understand that we have an enemy. We have an enemy. There's more than meets the eye. We're in a spiritual war. And we have to understand that the evil one works in our failures and adversities to cause us to question God's goodness and his love for us. And his goal is to separate us from God. And friends, when you face adversity, when a failure happens in your life, you have to understand that there are two forces at work. And there is a force that wants to drag you down and separate you from God. There is more than meets the eye. So if you recognize these realities, what's the next step? The next step is this, friends. Be honest with God. Be honest with Him. Peter said this in his book. He said, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, I want you to circle the word all. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Friends, when we experience a failure or adversity in our lives, we have an emotional reaction to that. Whether it's grief or loss or anger or frustration or feeling out of control, all the things that they show in that Avengers movie that they experience, we experience. Those are honest emotional responses. Truth be told, there are many of us right here in this room who struggle to trust God because of something that happened to us in the past, some adversity we faced. Perhaps we brought it on ourselves, but perhaps someone else's sin impacted us through no fault of our own. And we wonder, why did God let this happen to me? Why didn't he stop it? Where was he? And friends, when Peter says, cast all your anxiety on him, He's saying, be honest with God. Be honest about your emotions. Tell him how you really feel, not how you think you should feel, not how you think, well, good Christians probably feel this way. Uh-uh. Be honest. Cast all your anxiety on him. Tell him how you really feel. Ask the questions you need to ask. Got a... Newsflash for you, friends. God is big enough to handle your questions. He's big enough to handle them. 
Peter said, cast all. Got another news flash. God's not afraid of your stuff. He's not. He can handle that too. Cast all your anxiety on him. I got a third news flash. He's not intimidated by your criticism. He's gotten that before. And he's not baffled by your questions. And Peter is saying, don't disconnect. Don't pull away. Hang in there. Cast your anxiety on him. Why? Just so you cast it? No. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He cares. He wants what's best for you. So don't stop connecting with him. Don't stop praying. Take it to him. Now the third step is this. Refuse to become bitter. Refuse to become bitter. Remember the Bible tells us that when Peter failed, he went outside and wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. Why? Because it hurt. It hurt. But Peter didn't allow bitterness to control his life. Somehow, he came to understand that there's a bigger picture, that this world and this life isn't all there is. And look at what he wrote. He said, since you call on a father, now circle that word if you would please, father. Since you call on a father, Friends, I remember a while back, a a woman stopped me after one of our services. And she made the most interesting comment. She said to me, she said, Jeff, I wish you would stop referring to God as your father. And just kind of like, you know, I didn't didn't exactly know how to respond to that because I'm thinking, okay, um, you know, Jesus called him that. Bible refers to him that way repeatedly. Um, And she said, if you knew my father, you wouldn't call God father. If you knew what he did to me, you wouldn't associate that name with God. And friends, we have to understand that we can call God father because he is good. Because he cares for us. He cares for us enough to direct us, to be in our corner, to encourage us, to discipline us when necessary. And it's sad when so many people struggle with God as a father because of what they've seen here on this earth. Fascinating. Back in April, I was at a pastor's conference. It was a small group. Eight pastors from across the country went to this retreat for a weekend. They asked us to tell a little bit about our lives. I was one of only two in the room that was not abused by his dad. One of them had to watch his mom get beaten by his father. I'll never forget it because because at the end of that discussion, when they finally got to me, I said, guys, I... I'll just be honest with you, I cannot relate. 
I, I can't fathom that in my home. But Peter says, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. In other words, what he's saying is, this life is brief. Failure and adversity come in because we are foreigners in this world. This is not our ultimate home. But while we were here, we can either make the best of it or we can let it get the best of us. And that's a choice. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. In other words, he's saying, friends, life without God is empty. But we were redeemed. We were bought and paid for by the sacrifice of Christ. And through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. So your faith and hope are in God. Our faith and our hope are in God. But friends, bitterness says, you know what? Because I don't understand, I don't trust you. Because I don't understand why this happened to me, God, I don't trust you anymore. Because this happened to me, I don't love you anymore, and I don't think you love me. Because this happened, I think you caused this. I think it's your fault. And friends, you have to understand that bitterness, when it sinks into your soul, it is a rejection of God's goodness and our hope in Christ. That's what it is. When there's a failure or an adversity in their background that you just flat, like, can't let go of and you find yourself constantly questioning God at some point, you reject his goodness and his hope that we have in Christ. Why is that? It's because as, as Peter told us, cast all your cares on God because he cares for you. Now, does that mean we're going to experience life without adversity or without failure? No. But here's the thing we know, friends. Romans 8, 28 tells us this. We know that in all things, circle those two words, all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now notice what it does not say. It does not say that all things are good. But it does say that even when things are bad, when there's adversity and when there's failure, that God is at work in that situation, in that circumstance to bring good for those who love him and have been called according to their purpose. This is true, friends, even when I don't see it. This is true when I don't understand it. This is true when I can't see around the corner and know where he's taken me. And it's true for you as well. Now the Bible tells us a very interesting thing that happened on Sunday morning that's very instructive for us. 
On Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, but Jesus had already risen from the dead. And it says that when they went back into Jerusalem, they went back from the tomb, they told all these things, notice this, to the eleven and all others. What does that tell you? What that tells you is that even in the aftermath of his failure, Peter didn't isolate. He stuck with that close group of followers of Jesus. He hung in there with the remaining apostles. And friends, step four, if you and I are going to overcome failure, is to stay connected to my church family. Part of the problem that you see happen in the Avengers movie at the beginning is that they kind of scatter. They go their separate ways. And friends, Peter says this. He says, finally, all of you should be in agreement, understanding each other, loving each other. Circle these two words, as family. As family. It's that idea that we hang together through thick and thin, being kind and humble. Most importantly, love each other deeply because love will cause people to forgive each other's other for many sins. Friends, when we fail, our natural reaction, like some of those Avengers, is to isolate. But Peter encourages us that in those moments of failure and in those moments where we're facing adversity to lean in. Lean in to our church family. Write this in your margin, friends. Isolation is death. Isolation is death. If you think that you can manage to live a life of faith in isolation, you got another thing coming. Peter goes on to say this. Each of you has received a gift to use to serve others. Be good servants of God's various gifts of grace. Do you remember what Jesus said to Peter? You remember what he said? He said, When you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. In other words, when you have rounded that corner, be the rock. Be the rock for your brothers. You see, he had a gift to bring to that group. And so do you. And you know, one of the beauties of getting involved in serving is it takes the focus off of you and your problems. It takes the focus off your adversity or your failure and it allows you to serve and to think of somebody else. And then step five is this. Expect God to turn my setback into a comeback. Expect God to turn my setback into a comeback. Now, Peter says this. 
He says, humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. In other words, what he's saying here is understand who you are. A flawed and fallible and sinful human being and understand who God is. And humble yourself under the mighty power of God and get what he says here. And at the right time. He will lift you up in honor. And friends, if you're facing adversity or if you're facing a failure this morning, I want you to understand, please hear me on this, that no matter what you're going through, no matter what is happening in your life, if you will humble yourself under the mighty power of God at the right time, Chances are not your time. Maybe not my time. But at the right time, his time. He will lift you up in honor. Now friends, what I want you to do right now is I want you to take out your connect card, if you would please. As you heard earlier, for those of you who are first and second time guests, if you'll, if you'll fill that out for us and take it out to the Welcome Center, we got some stuff out there for you that uh, hopefully you'll enjoy. Um, but if you look on the back of that card, it says there in that box on the left side of the back, I'd like information about. And friends, maybe this morning, your next step for this week is to get information about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe, maybe this is your first time at church or maybe this is kind of new to you and you just kind of want more information about that. Or maybe you've actually crossed the line of faith and you're ready to be baptized. And I want you to know that we have a baptism celebration coming up in just four weeks, the first Sunday in August. Maybe you've been a part of this church family for some time, but you've never gotten involved with a small group of other Christians like, like Peter was. And friends, if, if you don't have a group of Christians that you know and can relate to and who know you, it's tough. We actually have a, a first steps group that will be starting up early next month. And you can get more information on that if you check that box. But that first steps group is for people who are kind of new to the faith and who are kind of just checking things out and want to know what what, what, what what does it mean to be a Christian. There's plenty of serving opportunities here at Good News Gathering. And if you've never done that, we'd enjoy having you be a part of that. Or maybe... It's time to share the good news with somebody else. And maybe you could do like I did yesterday. Just kind of drove through the drive-thru, handed the person at the window of the card a little extra money, and I said, hey, pay for the person behind me, and if there's any money left over, it's tip. Kids seem pretty happy about that. Or you can do, <laughs> you can do what my wife did yesterday, and she grabbed a whole bunch of those uh, popcorn bags, she got a little, one of these little bags from um, uh, in one of those dollar stores. She went around the neighborhood just hanging them on doorknobs, inviting people to come. Friends, I, I don't know what your next step is. And I don't know how this particular message impacted you. 
But I also want to open this up as well. If this morning you would like just to pray with somebody, I'm just going to be right down here in front as, after, as soon as the service is over. And if you'd like to pray, I'll be happy to pray with you. Maybe you got something going on in your life that's weighing you down. And I'd like to pray with you about that. And you don't even have to tell me what it is. You can just come up and say, Jeff, it's an unspoken prayer request. You don't need to know what it is. I just want somebody to pray. I'll be here. Friends, never forget that God can turn your setback into a comeback. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word that we've received this morning. We thank you, Father, that you tell us that we can we can't change the past but we can start again and father what a blessing that is to know help us father to remember that it's because of your son that that promise is true for this is our prayer in Christ's name And we all agreed together and said, Amen.